Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. I have the privilege today of talking to Andrew T. Walker. Andrew is the Director of Policy Studies for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. He works with our good friend uh, Russell Moore and others in that very important witness in our culture today. So welcome to the Beeson Podcast, Andrew. Dr. Gordon, it's great to be with you. Thank you so much. Now, the main reason for this uh, call is to talk about a new book that you and my friend Eric Tietzel have co-authored called Marriage Is... And we'll get right into that in a minute. But first of all, tell us a little bit about what the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission is. What do you all do? Yeah, so the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission is the public affairs arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. And so we're one of the um, convention's smaller entities that is tasked with the assignment of speaking from Southern Baptists to the broader culture on any given ethical, moral, social, and political issue. Um, and then we also speak to Southern Baptists by equipping them through um, relevant biblical resources on how to think through and navigate the culture and the, the, the difficult ethical issues uh, that we're presented with from a gospel-centered perspective that um, glorifies Christ ultimately. Wonderful. And Eric Tietzel, whom I mentioned, your fellow uh, writer for this book, is the executive director of the Manhattan Declaration. And tell us what that is, in case somebody doesn't know. Yes, Eric, I know, is, is actually getting ready to have a have his first child, which is why he can't be here today, so I'll speak on his behalf. Sure. And he's the executive director of the Manhattan Declaration, and the Manhattan Declaration, it, it formed in 2009 as, as a statement of Christian conviction and witness around three core issues, and that's life, marriage, and religious liberty. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lengthy statement that has very important, prominent Christian signatories uh, from the United States on this document saying that we commit to uphold the truth uh, about the Bible's witness on life, marriage, and religious liberty at all costs. And so that kind of transformed into its own organization and own movement, and that's what Eric does for a living. So he's on the road, he's speaking at college campuses, mm. um, he's writing everywhere and trying to equip Christians to think through those issues specifically. So in a way, through the two of you, this is a little bit of a joint project between the Manhattan Declaration and the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, and it's wonderful that we can stand together in this common witness. Absolutely. So uh, in, in your book, Marriage Is, I want you to say a little bit about the book itself. It's an e-book, and it's, it's brand new, so uh, you can tell us a little bit about the format of it and how people could get a copy of it. Uh, but I want you to comment also on uh, a statement you make. You say, where marriage thrives, people flourish. Where marriage crumbles, people suffer. Uh, say a little bit about that statement in the context of this new book you've written. Yeah, well, thank you. So um, Eric and I wrote this book out of the conviction that we think that, that Christians have unwittingly kind of absorbed a worldview about marriage that is primarily adult-centric, and the phrase we use is that um, we kind of view marriage through the lens of it being a happily ever after fairy tale type, type story. And we don't want to downplay the, the, the companionship aspect of marriage and how God designed the male and female to be together 
for the sake of companionship and romantic intimacy. But what we're trying to do is really kind of press the reset button for how younger Christians should be thinking through the importance of marriage as it relates to civil society and even our pursuit of justice. So a lot of times when we think about justice, we think about giving money to um, Compassion International, which is great, and, and we want to encourage that. And we, uh, We're not trying to detract from that at all. But what we're making the argument with marriage is, it's simply the notion that God designed man and woman um, to fit together with a precise specificity. And from that union comes children, and that children need, um, they need caretakers, they need to be reared uh, in a way that brings them to maturity uh, in the world. And the government, for example, needs voters and taxpayers and citizens. And so what we want to do is help Christians think through kind of the macro-level impact of marriage and to see that society itself is really just an aggregate of the number of marriages in any given society. And right now what's happening in society is there's been, tragically, a weakening of marriage, and marriage is in decline, and we're seeing that uh, have an, an epic toll on just the, the fabric of America. So, for example, we know that a child who grows up in a household without a married father is drastically much more likely to experience poverty. Mm. Um, and this, this affects graduation rates. It affects incarceration rates. And we're not saying that, if, you know, if you grow up, without a married mother or father, you're going to have these things happen to you. But what we do is look at the snapshots and trends in American culture, and what we notice is that where marriage kind of falters and, and falls through the cracks and it declines, real there's real human carnage left in the wake of that. And so we want to say as Christians, if we're to love our neighbor and if we're to love our world, we want to support and give witness to those institutions that help strengthen society and help fulfill kind of the bounds of justice. Now, you and Eric begin uh, this book by really laying out a, a what I'd call a biblical theology of marriage. You you go back into the great themes of the scriptures, creation, fall, redemption, uh, restoration, reconciliation, and you relate that in particular to the way marriage itself has grown and developed. I mean, one, one of the critiques against, you might say, a biblical view of marriage is that's just the view of you Christians in particular, or a kind of subculture, but you, you, you ground this really in the drama of salvation history, don't you? Yes, we do. And, I mean, we start from the premise of this book that we're Christians, and so we believe the Bible is authoritative and true. But the, the difference there is that when we talk about marriage in this book, we're not talking about it exclusively from the idea of it being just a sectarian, uniquely Christian ethic. Now, I think marriage is ultimately Christian in the sense that marriage mimics and is an icon of the gospel. But uh, uh, you know, until we reach the climax of history, marriage or God gave marriage to all of creation, so that men and women, whether they're Muslims, Jews, non-Christians. Uh, we we all we all come embodied as male and female, as the Bible tells us. So you, and as Christians, we believe. Oh yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, you, you, what you're saying, you you don't have to be a Christian to get married. Absolutely, you don't have to be a Christian to get married, and that's why that's why uh, to use the theological language, crea- uh, marriage is a creation ordinance or a creation institution. It's something that exists for all of humanity, regardless of whether the the, the people who are entering the institution are aware of the theological ramifications or basis of the nature of marriage. So you, and so, 
In this book, you right. and you and Eric are writing as Christians from a biblical point of view, without any apology. That's very clear. And yet, you you think your message has a wider resonance in our culture today, and you believe uh, you're putting forth a view of marriage that has valence across all religious affiliations, denominations, whatever. Most definitely, uh, and I think we're we're seeing that we're seeing the effects of marriage's general breakdown in society happening. So. Just for example, to kind of review kind of the state of marriage, you know, divorce is still an epidemic anywhere from between 40 to 45 percent of marriages statistically will likely end a divorce. People are marrying later in life than ever before, uh, or they're simply not marrying at all. I mean, our marriage rates in America are at, I mean, it's bottomed out, which means that the need to, in, the need to enter marriage and what marriage offers as far as the goods of marriage have now largely become available outside of marriage itself. So you think, for example, uh, with the rise of cohabitation. Cohabitation is kind of a, it's a pseudo-marriage because it's the idea that you can have companionship without necessarily permanence. Mm-hmm. And so we're saying, no, the, the Bible actually gives a much larger framework from seeing the union of a man and woman as just something that, you know, you it's not just living together. It's living together within the permanent bounds of monogamy and, and matrimony. Uh, and that's ultimately channeled for the sake of children. We're not we're not saying that marriage is just about children. Uh, and in fact, we kind of don't like this either or thinking uh, that marriage is first and foremost, it's based on the complementarity of the sexes. But I think, as all of us know from biology classes and our Bibles, when men and women come together, uh, something unique happens that only men and women can do. Uh, when they're intimate, and that's children. So that's kind of the, the kind of the overarching basis of the book is to get Christians thinking through how marriage is um, not just a sectarian Christian ethic, although it, you know it culminates in Christ, but to see how marriage relates to kind of the broader social framework for how God designed human flourishing to occur. Uh, in chapter two of your book, you talk about what marriage is and then what marriage is not. I wonder if you could elaborate a little bit on that, just to follow through on the point you've just made. Well, obviously, the context that we're in today is a culture where marital redefinition is just become the norm. And marital redefinition rests on a certain worldview or definition of what marriage is. And so we see the poll for same-sex marriage really based upon the idea of intense emotional partnership, that's basically, it's, it's built on a worldview that says, this person is my number one person. That's partly true, but it's leaving off, as I've hinted at previously, it's leaving off a major aspect of that. It's leaving off the fact that there's a, there's a the complementary nature of marriage and the fact that, again, marriage results, the relationship of man and woman results in a marriage. And so, for example, we, you ask the question, why does the government have an interest in marriage? Well, it has an interest in marriage because from marriage comes these highly needy, highly dependent beings called children. And in same-sex relationships, um, that's simply not the case. And we can make those claims without making, you know, harsh moral terms, harsh derogatory terms about gay persons. Um, yeah. That's that's not what this book is about. I mean, we, we obviously write from a confessional Christian perspective, it holds an orthodox view of sexuality. But we're simply making the case that, that marriage is something. As water is H2O, so is marriage. And marriage is that unique union of where a man and woman come together as husband and wife, to be father and mother to any children that their union produces. 
And if you remove one of those planks of marriage, whether that's complementarity, permanency, or exclusivity, it it ceases to be marriage. And we're simply making the case in the book that same-sex coupling or same-sex partnerships simply cannot live up to or fulfill this marital definition. Now, I wonder, uh, I'm, I'm a part of a journal called First Things. I know you've written for us some, Andrew, at First Things. Mm-hmm. I've appreciated your, your, your writing. There's been discussion around First Things. This is certainly not the position of the magazine, but that maybe Christians ought to get out of the marriage business. That, that this is, we've, we've had our say and we've had our day. And, and now uh, let, let's just do our own private kind of blessings or whatever. But it, Christians should not, ministers in particular, should not officiate at a civil or legal marriage. What do you think about that? I really respect individuals like Peter Whitehart who have made that argument. And I'm respectfully just not there myself. I believe regardless of the mistakes that government may make in redefining marriage, um, marriage is something that is unalterable and it's indestructible, and there needs to be um, people in society who insist upon telling the truth about marriage and witnessing to the truth about marriage to our governing authorities. And so even if the government um, has a wrong conception of marriage, um, if the government still allows Christians the ability to tell the truth about marriage in their local settings, and those are valid authentic marriages, I still think we should take every opportunity to begin kind of preaching the truth about marriage um, and, and how we sign marriage life. When some of us were involved in, in drafting the Manhattan Declaration, which we mentioned earlier on, on this podcast, uh, we were concerned, we, we addressed, you know, the three issues, life, marriage, and religious freedom, all of which are, continue to be pressing moral concerns in our society today. And, and on marriage in particular, we acknowledge the fact that those of us who are professing Christians, who belong to churches. Our record is not spotless when it comes to marriage. We, we've had a lot of uh, brokenness and, and a lot of infidelity. And what we, we were calling for was to rebuild a culture of marriage, beginning in the church, but extending outward, we hope and pray, to the wider community, to the society at large. Could you just comment on kind of how marriage is working or not working within the Christian community? Dr. George, you uh, you said it so well, and I, I almost can't build on top of that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to at least try to make a few comments. We wrote this book first and foremost for a generation of Christians who are arising into marriage, but are a generation that is experiencing or has experienced kind of the bitter fruits of a marriage culture that went awry starting in the 70s and the 80s. And sadly, um, evangelical Christians, those who profess Christ, um, have not been guiltless in seeing the decline in marriage in our in our congregations. It's, you know, for example, divorce has been something that we can easily just turn a blind eye to because it's so rampant in culture that if we began policing and or um, disciplining those who seek a, a divorce for on un- biblical grounds, we're afraid of offending someone and we're afraid of losing church membership. We're afraid of losing them as tithers, so we just, over time, become silent about the issue. But what we're saying in this book is that it's time for the church to rebuild and, and recast a vision for marriage. And, you know, you know you, we mentioned same-sex marriage uh, a little while back, a few minutes ago, and we discussed that in this book because you have to discuss that concept in today's culture when talking about marriage. But 
that's to us almost an afterthought because to be quite honest, and I say this as, as a stalwart evangelical, divorce and cohabitation and just a regime of sexual freedom have done more to harm marriage than same-sex marriage ever will. Same-sex marriage is kind of the culmination of marriage's redefinition that began in the 60s and 70s. So for us, we want to see the church deliberately pursue a culture of marriage. And that's actually one of the chapters I wrote in terms of what the church should be doing in in building a culture of marriage, paying attention to um, the marriage statistics around them, canvassing their church to understand how many have had divorces, how many are cohabitating, and to begin not just policing your flock to be a legalist, but to pursue holiness and to pursue wholeness and to see lives transformed and in turn to see societies transformed. You know, there's a balance here I think we have to strive to reach because in the ears of some, when they hear the Christian message that I think you've articulated so well here and that we cannot back away from, they hear this kind of, well, I'm holier than thou. I've got it all together and, and you're broken. But in fact, we know the Bible says that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all broken. We all need grace. And somehow we need to find a way to let that message go forth with, with all the love and power of the Holy Spirit while at the same time staying faithful to what the Bible teaches us God has instituted as marriage between one man and one woman, a lifelong covenantal and conjugal union. We can't back away from that, but is there a better way we can present this that uh, also carries with it the notion of the mercy, love, and forgiveness and reconciliation we have in, in the gospel? So I, I think that um, this, this, is where, this is where what we're writing about requires kind of pastoral heroes who are willing to kind of put our vision into practice. And, uh, you know, we have no interest in writing this book to conjure up hurt feelings of those who've gotten burned out from relationships and um, have had seen relationships go awry. Um, and we want to just emphasize this timeless principle that the Lord Jesus himself said that, it, you know, it, it's, it's a gospel comprised of both grace and truth. Mm. And when you combine the elements of grace and truth, there's healing and transformation that takes place. And so I would say to any of the pastors that might read our book, and we hope you read our book because we really believe in this message getting out, um, is to pursue what we're saying delicately and not to see your role as the pastor as kind of this self-righteous and moral mandate to kind of clean, clean the house of those who've had broken relationships. Uh, this is what we're calling for is a slow relearning process that may take, it's not going to take days or months. This is something that's going to take years of retraining the habits of the evangelical mind and evangelical culture to renew our commitment to marriage. I like the way you put that, retraining the habits of the evangelical mind and culture, the evangelical heart, uh, when it comes to this kind of issue. How old are you, Andrew? Uh, I just turned 30 last month. Yeah, and your friend, uh, my friend, Eric Tietzel, is just about the same age. He may be 31, but no more. And He's a little bit older, as I like to remind him. Okay. So I think <laughs> it's wonderful that both of you, from my vantage point, a little bit further down the road, very young people uh, have felt a passion and a calling to address this issue uh, because in some ways it's your generation, and even the generation coming along younger than you, uh, to whom this ball is going to be passed as we move forward in, in the current of history. 
Yeah, and that's and we stand waiting to to take that mantle of leadership. And we, you know, we're excited because we think that there's such there's such opportunity for the evangelical church to recommit its passion for marriage. You know, not just from the viewpoint of what does does marriage bring happiness, but does marriage bring social wholeness, and does it pursue? Does it help enact an agenda of justice? And we believe that if God's word is true and He gave this majestic institution called marriage to us for our good, He promises to deliver on that good for individuals and but also for society as a whole. Now, you end your book uh, with a paradigm for marriage that really uh, it comes out several times in the course of the book. You say, marry, stay married, have children, and change the world. Those four things. Right. Marry, stay married, have children, and change the world. How does... That's right. So say, say a little bit more about that. That's a wonderful epigrammatic way of giving the thesis of your book. Say a little bit more about those. We just have a few minutes left, but that's such a powerful sure. message. Well, to be honest with you, the whole vision for this book began while Eric and I were having coffee one day um, in, in Washington, D.C., when I used to work for my former organization, and I had told him about this quote from G.K. Chesterton, and I'm probably not going to get the quote um, 100% correct, but Chesterton says something to the effect that an ordinary man and an ordinary woman um, come together to do extraordinary things. To, to me, that's, and again, I butchered that quote, but Chesterton is channeling this understanding of what I think we see in, in Genesis 2, to, bre- to be fruitful and to multiply. And marriage is the only institution that exists that um, connects past generations to present generations to future generations, and that all of us exist today as the result of a marriage that existed prior to ours. And so if we're going to build a vision for society that's, um, that, that looks, you know, past just the, the, the momentary present, but to the future, we want to be looking towards what institution exists that helps chart the path towards a better future. And we can't think of a better institution than marriage. And, of course, we Christians know that this is an institution really ordained by our Heavenly Father. It's not simply of human construal that God is in this. He instituted marriage and wants it to prosper and to flourish. So marry, stay married, have children, and change the world. I like that because there's hope in that. As we look around the dark clouds in our society today, uh, God is not completely through with this world yet, and he has left us here for a purpose and with a mandate and with a challenge. So thank you, Andrew, for this book. Before we, we say goodbye to our listeners, can you tell us how... Our listeners can get a copy of this book. You and Eric Tietzel have written Marriage Is. Sure. The book is available on Amazon.com. It's available on Barnes & Noble's uh, electronic bookstore, and it's also available on, iBa- on um, through iBooks, which is a, uh, the platform with Apple. Wonderful. I've been speaking today to Andrew T. Walker. He is the Director of Policy Studies for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, and he has written a brand new book. I encourage you to get it. Eric Tietzel and Andrew Walker, co-authors of Marriage Is. Thank you, Andrew, for this wonderful conversation. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. 
You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.